Super 70 Sports Podcast. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, welcome to the Super 70 Sports Podcast. I'm Ricky Cobb, and I've got an interesting show for you today because my guest is somebody that you probably don't know. Adam Ballinger is a member of the 2000 NCAA champion Michigan State Spartans basketball team. And after playing professional ball in Australia for over a decade, he's now making a name for himself in the world of sports art. He's doing some of the most inspired, creative, distinctive art that I've ever seen. And I want to share his work with you guys today. So joining me now, on the Super 70 Sports Hotline, a friend of mine, former pro baller, and a heck of a talented artist, Adam Ballinger. Adam, how are you? Uh, it's going great, Ricky. Great, great to talk to you. Thanks for the call. I was looking good over here in Australia uh, a day ahead. As we're recording this, I think it's uh, you know it's a little past 6:30 uh, in the afternoon here in Chicago. But you're, uh, you're you probably already had breakfast and you're getting ready to go out and attack the day. Yeah, yeah, I've been out for a while here. Yeah, kids are off to school, um, sitting back down at my desk. But yeah, it's a nice. But it's fall too over here, so it's getting colder. You've had a really interesting story because. You grew up really not all that far away from where I grew up. I was a Kentucky kid, and, and you're from Indiana, which I guess makes us uh, uh, natural enemies, but uh, somehow or another we like each other. What, what was that experience like? Because when you start talking about basketball in Indiana, I mean, that's practically religion. Yeah, it is. I mean, probably the same way it is in, in Kentucky. Yeah, I grew up in Indiana, so northeastern Indiana, a town called Bluffton, of about 10,000 you know, every Friday and Saturday night, that's what you do. You go to the games, uh, you talk about it the next day, you know, the barbershops and all that good stuff. And it was very much like what you'd see in you know, a movie. Absolutely. I mean, that's what it was like in Kentucky. Basketball hoops in every driveway, basketball hoops on barns. I mean, it, it really is. If you've seen Hoosiers, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it really is. It's still true. If you go to rural Indiana or you go to rural Kentucky, uh, you know, basketball is the thing. Now, now here's what I got to ask you. You're, you're an Indiana kid, uh, a prospect, uh, obviously, that's drawing attention from major Division One programs. Did, did Bobby Knight, who was, you know, in the later years of, of his tenure there in Indiana, did Bobby Knight recruit you? He did. Uh so, you know, getting recruited by Indiana as an Indiana kid is kind of the, you know, the dream. Um, it was always growing up, you're either a Purdue fan or Indiana fan. My mom went to Purdue, but uh, the Hoosiers are a pretty big deal in Indiana. And uh, I was playing AAU ball. Um, it was just out of practice, and there was Dan Dockich was there. They were recruiting guys like uh, Luke Recker, who was a big name back then. And, uh, and he was on the team, and we were scrimmaging, and I just remember him after the practice just, having a few words with me. It probably wasn't with me because that would be illegal to talk to me, but somehow it got back to me that he was impressed with the way I played, and that was kind of the start of, of you know, wow, maybe I could, you know, play big-time Big Ten basketball. It may be a, a real thing. So that was kind of the first, even college to start recruiting out of any was, was Indiana. So, I mean, how close did you come to actually going there? And what were your thoughts on playing for Bob Knight? Because, I mean, everybody has an opinion about Bob Knight, and especially growing up in Indiana, I'm sure. 
was he a guy that you would that you could have been comfortable playing for, or was that something where you know maybe you might have had some reservations about playing for him? It's a good thing I didn't put too much thought into it. I didn't wasn't I wasn't scared of, it and I also wasn't one hundred percent sold on it. This was the the same time of when uh, the Neil. Um, Reed, Neil Reed, yeah, stuff came out, yeah, yeah, yeah him getting choked out, getting <laughs> choked out on, yeah. on video, and it made it out. Um, so this was it, that same time, and so it, things were shaky there at, at IU, and the the recruiting process was a bit up and down. But um, at, at first, I thought, you know, this is where I'm going. You know, this is this is the dream. Um, and I had some some I saw some practices there, and I had I remember having a meeting in Knight's office with my whole family and. You know, it's pretty confronting. Uh, he's, you know, he the way he coached and his cele- level of celebrity there was was off the charts. I mean, to, to go back and play against him, you go and play in that in, in Assembly Hall. The fans go straight up and down. They're all wearing red sweaters, and the the team is secondary to, to what Coach Knight was. The, the team would run out and they'd all get a cheer. But then Knight and his he'd be flanked by his his assistant coaches, and he they would time it like he knew what he was doing, and he'd walk. Straight across the middle of the floor, and the second he walked out, the crowd erupted. I mean, it was it just just for him, just to see him and, and the show and spectacle that he was. So I, I kind of I respected that, and that's you know you want to see that. But he was a taskmaster for sure, and he didn't care who was at his practices. I was there once, and he, I mean, he was just going off on the team. And usually, if you've got recruits in the crowd, you kind of take it a little bit easier uh, because you want somebody to come to your school. And uh, right. I mean, he went off. He, he didn't. He didn't care who was there or what what was going on. And he was. I'm. He was doing stuff like throwing balls to players and everything. It was. Uh, it was. It was a little little over the top. But I still wanted to go. But then things were too messy there. It was just. It was too messy, and I didn't want to kind of step into that environment right away. So I chose another school. Well, that proved wise because the the shit really was hitting the fan right at that right at that time. Because I think he was out of there within like a couple of years after that, right? Yeah, he was there for another two or three years, and which I was happy for because it was you know to be able to go down there and play him and be around that was was pretty neat growing up in Indiana. But um, but yeah, uh, no, it, it got pretty bad after that, and he was out of there two or three years later. I remember somebody wrote after I didn't go there that you know this things are getting bad at IU when a kid a six nine unathletic white kid from Indiana <laughs> doesn't go to IU. <laughs> you did go to Michigan State. And as a redshirt freshman, you won the NCAA championship there under Tom Izzo. What's that like as a as a freshman? I mean, March Madness is such a thing in our country, and, and it's one of those things where I tweeted not too long ago. I said, well, you know, March is here, and uh, all of us are going to pretend like we have any idea about what's going on with these brackets. But, I mean, it's become such a, it's become such a phenomenon, you know, and you've got people arguing over these... 6-11 seed games and whatever and everybody thinks that they know for one month a year it's such a huge deal and as a freshman I mean that's that's the pinnacle and the and the final four that year was was in your home state as well I mean what's that like as a kid to to, to be on that to be on that stage and, and to play in a national title game and and not only play in it but ultimately win yeah, it was pretty. Like you said, I made the right decision. So I took one one visit up to because Coach Izzo, uh, I, he came to my house and everything, which you know head coaches don't usually do. But met with my parents and everything, drove down, and so I went up there for one. I had one official visit there, and that was it. I, I mean, um, 
I said I was coming after just visiting one time, just because you know you could tell something there was 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 going well. My senior year in high school, they went to the Sweet Sixteen, which was I think the best they had done for for quite a while, and they were just had a. At the Flintstones, you remember remember those guys, the Teen Cleaves and oh yeah, yeah, Charlie Bell, Morris Peterson, um, and um, and another another guy who, who was who was incredible. But uh, so my first year there, it kind of all really fell into place. And I was my first year, I, I broke my leg, so I was a red shirt. Um, uh, but I practiced. You know, I missed a month. But other than that, I was, I was on the the practice team for a whole year against you know one of the best teams in the country. Um, and it just all kind of fell together. It didn't have anything to do with me getting there, but uh, the right place at the right time. And, um, we went to my first year there as a redshirt. We went to the Final Four and lost to Duke uh, in the first game of the Final Four. Um, and it's just like, you know, wow, how this happened. But then the next year, uh, we were much better. That was the best, best team I've ever played on. Uh, it was me and well, me. I was a side note, but uh, I did. I played about ten minutes a game as as a as a freshman, which was pretty good on the best team in the country. Yeah, uh, I went say. in there, got got one. I got I would get a rebound, a block shot, and hit one jumper, and that was probably that was what I did in, in almost every game. But I was playing with guys, you know, like Jason Richardson was on that team, Mateen Cleese, Morris Peterson, Charlie Bell, um, just guys, you know, and coach by Coach Izzo, uh, and it was just. It was incredible. You, you get to I, you get to Indianapolis. And we had to take like you know they like the different ways out of the hotel just because there's too many people you know wanting autographs, wanting to see and stuff like that. And it's the stage is you, you kind of keep you insulated from it because if you if you took too much time to think about it, it's, it's pretty amazing. And then you know, we went to a Final Four again the year after that. But but when we won it, especially in Indianapolis. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I remember watching, you know, as a kid, watching celebrations of people winning big championships and thinking, wow. But then to be able to actually do that one day was um, was great. So you play out your your eligibility there at, at Michigan State, and you go undrafted. Where where are you at at that point? I mean, put put me inside the the mindset of a big time college player. Obviously, you know, you weren't one of the greatest players in the country, but you were a good player. Clearly. Is it something where, you know, were you looking at that point to go work out for NBA teams, or is that something that, that you knew at that point that if you were going to continue your career that you were going to have to look into international ball? Well, for me personally, uh, the NBA, so I had a really good junior year. So my junior year was, um, I ended up getting injured. But I, made, I was all Big Ten team and stuff like that. And so going into my senior year, it was looking like NBA might be a possibility small possibility maybe small chance but i had a i had a really down year my, my senior year um just too much i mean i just i kind of had a few bad games and kind of got down on myself and didn't have the year that that i i should have had or, or wanted to have uh so coming out of that it was pretty obvious the nba wasn't wasn't an option but i, I knew above anything i just wanted to go play i love to play the game and always wanted to play as long as i could so i just thought you know i'll get an agent and see where that takes me and i ended up uh getting an agent who had already put a couple players over here in australia and uh he said no i got a job for you it's in melbourne with a team called the giants as a typical american especially midwestern kid anything outside of america that happens like you just (laughs) you know anything outside of america isn't isn't news you know what i mean americans are traditionally very bad for caring about anything (laughs) right it's true yeah 
Yeah. At least I was. Like, I, you know, Australia is great. I mean, everyone I just say you see the crocodile hunter. That's about all I knew. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know where Melbourne was or anything like that. And I said, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. I'm going there. And I didn't look into it at all. Like nothing. I knew nothing about it until a couple of days before I flew out. Um, and I just because I'm going there to play basketball. Whenever I show up, they'll put me in a place and, and I'll play and enjoy that. And that's what I did. Uh, but I fell in love with the country, and it's, it's an amazing place to live. But yeah, you know, just I want to play basketball wherever I got sent to play. I was I was okay with. Now we were talking about this before we started recording, but I mean, it's a pretty brutal flight, right? I've never I've never been to Australia, but that's a flight. It is. Uh, the first time you do it is is the hardest because you think, how am I going to sit for fifteen hours on a plane? And that's just the one. So if you're flying to Indiana, you got to fly to L.A. and then L.A. to Indianapolis, which is another four hours. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. It's just the the jet lag can be rough. But try doing it now with kids. We've done it. Oh yeah. We've done it with our kids. I mean, and we got big kids. Uh, but in one, if they're not two years old, they don't. You have to pay for them to get a seat. But if if there's no seats, they got to sit on you. So I and I can't. You can't get an exit row either because. He's got a kid with you. I've sat for 15 hours with a kid on my lap uh, and no no exit row straight. That's hard. <laughs> well, you're a big dude. I mean, traveling is a, is yeah. a di- you know, it's a different yeah. issue when you're a large person also. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, now, I, I mean, if I had to do it without a kid, That'd be great. That'd be heaven. But doing it with a kid, yeah, that's the hard part. Now, now, before I get into uh, kind of your journey in Australian pro ball, uh, according to your Wikipedia page, and you know, I, I'm not an information snob. I love my Wikipedia. So, but, but correct me if yeah. this is wrong. You you played an exhibition uh, against a, a team from Australia, and Magic Johnson played in the game. Is that right? Yeah. So. A team from here who had two players, Mike Chappelle and Dave Thomas, uh, who were on that championship team. Chappelle played at Duke for a couple of years and came and played with us. They played out here, and it ended up working out somehow that they took a trip to to the states and played us. Came back and played us, and, and Magic played in the game with them, and they killed us. Uh, which was another story. We were a big trouble for that. We were an exhibition game, even if it was a professional team with Magic Johnson. Um, <laughs> But he was around a lot. So Magic was around a lot. Uh, he, he used to come to our open gyms and, and play uh, against us in open gyms. And uh, I used to have to guard him because <laughs> I was his height. I was his height, but uh, not his skill level. But he was, you know, he was quite a bit older than me, and he was out of shape. He looked out of shape. But, I mean, his, he's taller than me. So I'm 6'9". He was definitely taller than me. His handle on the ball, I mean, he would dribble the ball up to his ear. And you, there's no way you could ever take the ball off of him. And uh, this is control of the game, which everybody already knows. But even at that age, I mean, you could just tell he had complete control of the ball in the game at all times. He could pretty much do whatever he wants. But he would – so it would be game point, and he would take the ball, and he was going to take the shot no matter what, and he would drive to the basket. I swear, if he missed a layup and there was no one within five feet on him, he would call a foul. He'd call a foul so he'd get the ball back. <laughs> Come on, Magic. Yeah, That's terrible. Times, no, five or six times straight. Yeah, he did five or six times straight. But no one would say a word. You can't say anything to Magic Johnson. He wasn't about to lose. So he just kept doing that until he made the basket and walked off the court and no one could say a word. Yeah, no, you can't You can't question it. I mean, that, I guess that's the... No, uh, 
<laughs> that's just the way it is. There, there's perks to being Magic Johnson. I guess that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. that's crazy. So, so you wind up playing what, like a dozen years of pro ball? Yeah, about twelve years. Yeah, twelve years. So I played every season here in in Australia, and I went a few times. So after the season ends, guys will go to Europe and play and catch on with the team over there or other places. So I played in Puerto Rico for a season. I played in uh, New Zealand for a season and um, Israel for a little bit too. But mostly it was here, and it's called the NBL over here. Um, and I played here for 12 years. And, um, yeah, this is where I wanted to stay. Like I knew once I started playing here that this I kind of wanted to – see how, how well I could do and how far I could go in this league and kind of concentrate on this. Can you rattle off like a few of the teams that you played for? Because there there were a few of them. I was looking at it and I was jotting some of them down and I, I know I'm going to butcher the names of a few of the teams that you played for. But for, for my audience, could you just name a handful of the clubs that you played for? Yeah, well, my first team was the Melbourne Giants. Um, so everybody kind of knows Melbourne, Australia, but from there, I went to a place called Wollongong, the Wollongong Hawks. Uh, they're now called the Illawarra Hawks, but Wollongong, it means, I think it's Aboriginal for land between mountain and sea, I uh. think. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a beautiful area. I mean, it's a beach. The The stadium's on the beach, so after practice, you just run out and jump in the water. That's your, that's your recovery for the day. Uh, beach community, beach town, and small town slash city. Uh, I played there and I played at for the Adelaide 36ers. Um, I played there for five years and that was, that was kind of the, the peak of, of my basketball career. Um, I really enjoyed it there. I had some, had some great, uh, great battles there. And then I came from there and went back to Melbourne, played for the Melbourne Tigers. And then one more year back at Wollongong Hawks. So, so what's a thirty sixer? What 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 happened? What, what I was looking at that, I'm like, okay, what's the story behind the thirty sixers? Because we've got the forty ers and the seventy sixers, and yeah. as Americans, we know what the story is. But what's a thirty sixer? I think the thirty sixer is very similar to the forty nine ers. When I think there was a gold rush there in Adelaide, just like there was a gold rush, right? That's why they're the forty nine. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it was a gold rush, and also it coincided with them becoming a state in, in Australia, or becoming yeah part of you know part of the country. I think it sounds plausible. We'll, we'll run with that. I know if anybody's if anybody yeah. wants to fact check you, they can. But I'm I'm going to buy that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Thanks. You know, one thing that I noticed is that the season's a lot shorter. Like it, it was appearing to me as I was looking through your career record that you guys played like about a thirty game season rather than the sort of like uh, death march that uh, these NBA guys go through every year, playing 82 games plus the playoffs if they make it. Uh, is, the, is it more like a, the length of a collegiate season over there? Yeah, it's very similar to, to the college season. It's not, yeah, not comparable to the NBA. I mean, with the money that they make and generate, you know, they make their money through playing games, and uh, so they're going to play as many games as they can, make as much money. Uh, here's the structure differently. Um, it's you know, we play one or two games during the week, usually on the weekend. So you practice all week. So yeah, as a professional, like you're practicing like college teams, like once or twice a day all week, and then you play on the weekends. Um, but it's just not you know the, the country itself has I think 23, 24 million uh, as its population. 
and sports wise like basketball it's it's big over here it was bigger much bigger in the 90s it's dipped down and now it's making a, making a comeback um, the NBL is doing a really good job of putting money back into it and kind of you know trying to trying to get that back going again but it's there's so much opportunity over here for sport uh, Australians love their sport and there's you know you got Australian rules football you've probably seen that on like, oh man I used to watch yeah. that on ESPN oh, back yeah. in the 80s yeah. I loved it yeah yeah, because that's all they—that's all they had to play. That's all they had the rights to. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's so true. Uh, so they got that, and then yeah, then they share that with rugby. There's two different kinds of rugby. You also have cricket, which is big over here. Uh, but then you got you got basketball. But all all the sports, you know, it, you know, there's only so many people, and there's a lot of sport over here. So it, it doesn't generate near the money that's. Uh, the NBA or the bigger leagues in Europe. Uh, let me ask you about cricket. You, you've been over there now for 14 years or so. Have you given like enough of a shit about cricket to kind of figure out what that's all about, or is it? Or, you know, can you watch cricket now at this point and g- gain some enjoyment from it, or, or not? I can watch the highlights of cricket. Playing with guys who, you know, the Australians, you know, you have a lot of time in the hotel. So during the day is when cricket is on. So they they don't have it on all day. But it's more of a thing. You have to be a real fan to, to sit and watch it. But it's kind of, you kind of have it on on the house. So while you're doing your, your chores on the house, you kind of drop in every now and then. But yeah, it's a game. There's a few different types, but it can go for so five days. So one match, a test match, is five days long. And at the end of the five days. A lot of times, it's a draw. And we're we're worried about how we can shave five minutes off of a baseball game. Now over here, it's like an obsession, you know. Yeah, that's for the purists. So then they have some other versions of the game where there's one called the uh, Big Bash League, which is started, which is much more like a like a baseball game, and it's over in two or three hours. But but yeah, I mean, there's there's like twelve different ways you can get get out it's not called out over here but um that you can you know when you're batting but then you can go forever like guys score two three hundred i mean it's an amazing thing to do but you know you can get up to like 300 runs and one up at bat. that's crazy that's crazy. I, yeah. I, so, so let me ask you a couple of things here about Australia because I'm thinking about what I know as a, as kind of a dumb American who's uh, been educated about Australia through mostly American media. Yeah. But, but one thing that I know, my oldest is 14 now, and when she was a kid, we must have had 15 different Wiggles DVDs. How big are the how big are the Wiggles over there? They're enormous. Uh, they sell out. Oh, I, I didn't know they were so big in America, but they sell out like Madison Square Garden in America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and now the lineup's different. You know, I'm a Wiggles purist. I like, I like the, I like the original lineup: Greg, Murray, Jeff, and Anthony. And before anybody criticizes me, you raise five kids, and then tell me if you know you'll be able to name the Wiggles too. Okay, but yeah, exactly. but now it's all different. I think the I think there's only one of the original guys that are left or whatever. So I've kind of lost interest. But uh, but and and here's the other thing. It, it, you know, if you listen to American media, you're you're led to believe. Like growing up, I think I thought like. Like every third guy in Australia was known as Crocodile. 
You know, you got the Crocodile Hunter, you've got Crocodile Dundee, you've got, you know, I'm sure there's a Crocodile Smith somewhere or whatever. I mean, moving to Australia as a as a fellow middle American kid, what was it like making the adjustment, not, not from a basketball standpoint, but getting adapted to Australian culture? Well... Adapting to Australian culture is not difficult at all. It's very, I mean, it's, if you know, a lot of players will go over to Europe. You know, if you're going into Siberia to play on the league there, that's that's much more of a culture shock than it would be to come come play someplace in like Australia or New Zealand, which is really close and another amazing country. Um, but it's not any, you know, I was the same way, and I had aunts and uncles tell me before I left, you know, they've got they got the ten most venomous spiders in like you know. Ten other animals that can kill you. Snakes, right? Away when you right snakes everywhere. Yeah, snakes, yeah. yeah, snakes too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, then basically uh, every day you're snakes. just yeah you're successful if you just get up and don't get killed by an animal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dodging snakes, but uh, I have never never come into contact with anything that it, that would kill me. And I've been here for twelve years. So right. You'd have to really kind of search it out. But if you get up up north, you know, same thing in America. If you if you go where the bears live, you might get eaten by a bear. And in fairness, the crocodile hunter was—he was seeking all that stuff out. You know, he's—he's looking—he's yeah. looking for it. Yeah. All right, let's talk art because I—I I think I guess I discovered your art probably about a year and a half ago, maybe a little further back than that, and just immediately was taken with your with your style. And unfortunately, here in the. Uh, audio podcast medium. I, I can't throw up any examples of it, but I would encourage people to to uh, get out there and look at your stuff on social media. Even if you want to pause the podcast uh, for a few minutes and, and, and go take a look. In fact, Adam, just go ahead and tell people the best places to find you online because I really think that uh, given the fact that some of my audience probably isn't familiar with you, I think a great thing for them to do right here would be to pause us and go out and actually you know put their eyes on what you do so it's adam ballinger art on instagram i think it's just under adam ballinger on on twitter um there's a bit on facebook but those are the most those are the two places that's the easiest to find and then i've got a website uh, just adamballingerart.com which is nothing but links to where you can buy some of the stuff that i do uh, but you know I, i'm just kind of i'm just kind of uh, bootlegging it all together right now like I'm just kind of figuring out as I go but it's been really fun to see the community there is a community there are people who, who enjoy it and who, who also do what kind of sports type type of art well last spring I guess it was as many of my followers know I we produce an article of uh, vintage or vintage inspired clothing uh, with my partners over at Streaker Sports and we were going to put together something with Larry Bird hitting uh, Bill Lambeer in the head because I had posted a, a gif of that and I think at the time at least it was the most retweeted tweet that I'd ever done and I thought hmm there, people might be interested in this and so I pitched it to those guys and I said look I think that we should make a t-shirt based on uh, Bird uh, Bean and Lambeer with the ball and I think that I've got just the guy to do the artwork for it and so you were very kind uh, to uh, collaborate with us on that and, and do the art for that t-shirt which which I absolutely love and which by the way if you go to uh, streakersports.com I believe there's still a little bit of inventory there so you, you, you might be able to uh, uh, pick up that shirt 
work for yourself. But I, I, I want, I just want to talk with you a little bit about where the ideas come from, where the inspiration comes from, because I was on your uh, website uh, earlier today and you've done a ton of different angles just on Larry Bird, just some really funny stuff, some just cool stuff. Where do the ideas come from where you kind of merge uh, the athlete with, you know, other elements of pop culture or kind of take the athlete and, and draw out some characteristics of that athlete and, you know, kind of exaggerate them in a way that is both, you know, really visually interesting and, you know, oftentimes really funny also. Yeah, I think we have like a similar view on sports, you know, the way you, you write your, your feed and your, what you do is, you know, Sports are great. I mean, and you can get into all the statistics and all the who's better than this and, and all that, who's won more championships and stuff like that, which is which is fine. But that's not what I love about sports. I just love the, the side stories and all the, you know, anything like, you know, what this guy wore to his draft, you know, this draft lottery, right. you know, the suit, you know, the, the kind of, you know, that picture of uh, Charles Barkley eating pizza and when he was at Auburn. You know, that kind of, that, that side of it, you know, the side of, of the humanizing side of it, the human, the, the, the stories behind it and the, you know, the, the funny things, the, 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 the triumph and, and all that kind of stuff is, is what I love about sports. But I mean, I just kind of, you know, always remembering that it is just when you break basketball down or football, anything down to, you're just putting a ball through a metal ring. Like, and if, if that's all it was about, then, you know, there, there wouldn't be any, no one be following it. No one would care as much because it's just that's the boring part. The the fun part is are the characters in it and the and the stories behind it. So that's what I love about sports. And then visually, I've always drawn and I've always loved art, but I've never really shown anyone. I do. I always kind of just done it on the side, and I've always done it with just kind of a pen and, and paper. So that's what I do now. I do everything, almost everything, uh, nothing on a computer. That's because I, I don't know what to do on there, and also I, I don't—that's not my aesthetic. But uh, I need to learn a bit more about that. But um, so I just kind of do everything by hand, and just kind of ideas-wise, whatever pops into my head. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of the stuff I put out there is just like, oh, this is what I, this would be fun to draw. This is the guy that I like, or this is a story that I like, or an angle that I like. But some and then other stuff that makes no sense, like the Larry Bird stuff. Like I, I did December, so every every day I drew Larry Bird in a different, like alternate universe. So, but all of them had something to do with, uh, with pop culture. You know, him as like ravishing Rick Rude, and him as uh, I don't know, the uh, James Hetfield and <laughs> stuff that you're not gonna that find one. anywhere yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not gonna find anywhere else. But it also whittles down my audience a bit too. Like this is this isn't for everybody, but if, you know, if you enjoy. You like sports, but you also like to laugh a little bit and realize how ridiculous some of it can be. Um, that, that's kind of my aesthetic. But that was the Larry Bird stuff. I mean, being from Indiana, so I'm from Indiana. I'm from a small town, but so he was a legend. You know, he's still a legend. There, but I mean, his his legend has gone past what he is. Like he's basically Paul Bunyan. Like he's, he's a <laughs> ball, Paul Bunyan type figure. It's true. You know, by this point in his life, you know, and for kids growing up in Indiana, like. Larry Bird is, is the guy, but it, you know his, it's it's more than just of who he is and what he did. It's more of like the legend that that he is around. It's know, like the idea of Larry Bird, yeah, yeah. You more the idea of him, and, and it, we had a basketball, and it was an old basketball. We all used to play tip in twenty one in our in our driveways and stuff like that. And there was one ball that had Larry Bird's signature on it, 
Not the real one, but yes, you can buy <laughs> okay, it. Okay, good. Because like I was going to give you a talking yeah. to if that was the case. <laughs> no. And so, but we always, we just referred to the ball as bird, and I always had to play basketball with, with, with that particular ball. We'd play football on the weekends, and everybody, we'd always, I'd always have to be Larry Bird. You know how when you're a kid, you yell out who you are? Of course. We were still doing that when we were like 15, yeah, 15, 16, 17 years old, just for fun, and we'd all pick somebody. And no matter what sport we are playing, I always had to be, <laughs> I'd always play when I was Bird. But so that. You know, and that story, but then, uh, you know, reading his actual story and what he's come from and, and what he's done and, you know, the type of person he is, I just, I can't get enough enough of him. So, but, but like, those kinds of drawings and that kind of art comes more from, more from the legend that surrounds him other than just, just him. Right. Yeah, if that makes sense. I absolutely relate to it because I, I get a lot of mileage out of Larry Bird tweets. And you can put Larry, and as you know, a lot of my tweets are like these weird situations that I create or, you know, pretend are a thing. And, and you're right. Larry Bird is just a great guy that you can plug and play in all kinds of different scenarios. And somehow it works because he's Larry Bird. So, so, you know, we're talking about your art here, obviously Larry Bird, the appeal of Larry Bird, every, you know, most everybody gets. And if you don't get the appeal of Larry Bird, you're not trying hard enough. Uh, LeBron, uh, you know, the LeBron ultimate warrior mashup that, that you did, I think it may be certainly it's in my top five uh, out of all your pieces that I've seen. And, you know, and I, and I say that I'm the proud owner of, uh, of uh, a few pieces of your work, your originals that, uh, that I have and that I, that I treasure. I mean, and this, the stuff is just so good. And so, you know, you're, you're drawing LeBron, you're drawing Bird, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, guys like this. I understand but I'm looking on, I think I was on your Instagram or I was on your Facebook and I, and I came across Dickie Simpkins and I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah. <laughs> Dickie, Dickie Simpkins of all people, uh, how does Dickie Simpkins get his own piece? Well, a lot of stuff I do for when I start putting myself out there and I don't advertise this much that I do it because I can only handle so many requests. So I'm about 10, I say about 10 deep at all times, but people just contacting me through email uh just saying you know can you do this this guy for me and you know and i give him my prices and come back to him and then i say usually say yeah i can get to it probably in the next six to eight weeks uh, i don't i don't take any money until until i'm finished just because i don't want to be because i don't know exactly when i can get to it so when i'm back up to them on the list i just you know see if they're still interested and then I knock it out so that was for this guy named rj casey he worked at fanographics um that's a, it's a, they do comic books and stuff like that, but they do more. They don't do superhero stuff. It's more art tours type stuff. But, um, so I've always been a big fan of comics and, and fan of graphics, especially. Anyway, so he was a big, that's just who he wanted. He's like, can you do a Dickie Simpkins for me? And I was like, oh yeah, because, you know, generally you're not going to wake up and think, oh, I think I'll draw Dickie Simpkins. Like, At least I, I actually do that, but then, you know, who's, who's out there looking for Dickie Simpkins? Art? But there is, like, that he wanted that. And then, you know, and then Dickie Simpkins, like, he was on Twitter. He, he liked it, too. That's, it's pretty neat to see stuff like that. That's very cool. You know, and, and you go in, and you cross over into pop culture. Like, another one of yours that I that I was looking at today uh, was uh, uh, Jules and Vincent from Pulp Fiction. 
which is just oh, such yeah. a such a cool piece. Like the the outfits that they're wearing at the uh, at the end of the movie, uh, uh, you know, the, the same outfits that they that they wear to the to the restaurant when it's being robbed. And yeah. uh, you know, it's just yeah. such a classic piece. I mean, where does that Star Wars is another one that I've seen that you've worked with. Do you enjoy doing the pop culture stuff that's you know not even sports related at all, at least directly? Yeah, oh, I love the stuff like that that, that I'm already into, like pop fiction, classic movie, and, you know, that's got a huge cult following. Um, but then, you know, that was somebody else who asked me if I could do that for him, so I, I did that, and they kind of let me run with it, and I just did that scene. Um, so, I, yeah, big pop culture guy and that kind of stuff. So, so like, let's say, uh, you know, somebody asks you to do a piece, and so when you get to the point where they're up in the queue... You contact them, say, "Hey, you still want me to do this?" If they green light you and say, "Yeah, of course, man, please do it," how long does it take you to to do a piece once you begin on it? If it's one person, like if it's like that, Dickie Simpson, um, it's about seven or eight hours at least, start to finish. Wow, I mean, that's not that's no small thing, man. And in the prices, as you say, I mean, they're very affordable. If somebody out there is like thinking to themselves. You know, if you've gone and you've looked, and if you haven't paused the podcast yet and gone and look at Adam's art, okay, I'm telling you right now, pause the podcast. I'm waiting. Pause it. And go look at his art because I know that I've got followers that are going to look at this stuff and think, oh, my God. And some of them might even have in mind somebody that they would love to see you do. What kind of what kind of prices would it be for, you know, if there's somebody out there who's, you know, absolutely dying to have an Andre uh, Iguodala done, you know, what, what's that going to run them? Uh, it depends on how much detail you want it. So if you want, like, specifically to add it in, it'll take a lot more time. It'll be more. But right now, I'm doing them for 200 bucks for one person. And then if you add more people, then it goes up slightly. Uh, but like I said, you know, that, and that's a lot. Like, $200 is a lot. You know, you, you want some art something like that if you're going to buy somebody, a print off somebody you know you can usually get those for 20 30 bucks but uh that's a lot of money but then if you you know if it takes seven or eight hours um it's not you know i can't i can't retire off that right now but uh, it's where it's working for me now but if i get a lot more off this podcast i'm gonna have to raise my prices <laughs> hey listen I, I, selfishly i, I want to drive up the value of my own uh, ballinger pieces <laughs> That I have in my home, you know, I've got a I've got a pretty sweet Clyde Frazier there. That not that I would ever sell it, you know. I just like the idea of knowing that it's worth a lot. I'm really pleased to see the success that you've been having over the course of the over the last uh, couple of years with, with your art. I think it's only going to grow, and um, you know, it's something that I would encourage everybody to check out because these really are original, one of a kind pieces. And to be able to put something up like that in your home that was uh, you know customly drawn for you is a is a pretty freaking cool thing. I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. It's it's adamballingerart.com. Adam Ballinger Art on yep. Instagram. And then Adam, I think, underscore Ballinger on, on Twitter. On Twitter. So check all that out. I know I like your Facebook page, so I know there's a Facebook page too. So if uh, if somebody searches your name on Facebook, they'll find they'll find that as well. And I, I know that uh, you know you've got some stuff up that you've posted there recently as well. This is my first ever podcast, so I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to being on again when you go to the Super 80s. <laughs> yeah, when I get to Super 80s and, you know, I need more material, I'll have you on and we'll do an all-80s edition of uh, talking about your art. Oh, we can just do 
do a Larry Bird. <laughs> we can just do a Larry Bird cast. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, man. All right, Big thanks to Adam. Such a talented guy. Get out there. Check out his artwork. We're going to be running a contest on at Super 70 Sports this week to give away an original piece of art from Adam. So make sure you check that out, retweet, and give yourself a chance to win. My guest next week is a longtime Sports Illustrated columnist, the 2005 National Sports Writer of the Year, and the author of the new book, Stingray Afternoons, a memoir. Steve Russian will join me on the podcast to talk about growing up in the 1970s, something that I know a little bit about, and maybe you do too. And I don't think you can talk about growing up in the 70s without talking about the toys, the athletes. We're going to cover lots of ground, I'm sure, next week when Steve Russian joins me on the show. Until then, remember to never miss an episode of the Super 70 Sports Podcast. I'm Ricky Cobb. I'll catch you next time. Thank you.